You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stebbings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 244 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stemmings and not joining me here in the PTUK studios this morning is my co-host Matt Smith because he's off driving buses somewhere or coaches I should say he'll have me for that one uh, in around the uh, East Anglia region I don't know where he's gone today but uh, joining me as always is the legend that is over in his massive mansion over in Buckinghamshire welcome Neville Bounds morning Carlos hello everybody hope you are all well and are having a nice weekend and uh, lots of in people in the chat room already some of them extremely dedicated <clears throat> waking up uh, very early in the morning on the american continent there uh, so thank you very much and uh, yeah looking forward to a good show i think we have some uh, some great stories and a great interview later on too so it is the oh it's the 25th of november blimey we are closely getting our way towards christmas time it's uh, just around the corner and it's uh, just gone 10 p or 10 a.m. I should say in the uh, in the morning here in the UK. And uh, as Nev said, we've got loads of stuff to pack into the show today. And uh, we're going to say a big welcome to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this morning. There's a few a few of the family members in. We've got um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Auntie Liz is in the chat room. We've got Mariana, Ray Davis. Good day to you, Ray. Uh, we've got uh, just scrolling up the list here. Neil Lamborn's also in the chat room. He uh, I think he's uh, having a morning off from uh, going up to Brunty today for a change to see the, uh, the, the super guppy. Uh, so welcome to everyone who's joined us in the chat room uh, this morning. So Nev, how's, uh, how's your week been? Uh, yes, a hectic one. Again, um, lots of uh, video editing going on in the studio here. And uh, you obviously we've talked about this Richard Johns interview. So I've been uh, going through that. I've just finished doing part three. So it's going to be a six part series. And we're going to start running that from... Uh, next week so I'll tell you more about that a bit later on but uh, yeah very hectic at work again and uh, at home also so we're going to go out for some fresh air later on because I've been stuck in this room <laughs> for so long now I'm getting a bit of cabin fever I think so uh, yeah looking forward to that and on that note actually uh, Nev uh, for those of you listening to the show obviously you all know that we had the big interview of Richard John's uh, uh, a week ago and I think it was a week ago now isn't it Nev you've done uh, the interview with yeah. Sir Richard and uh, as Nev said, uh, I've uh, I've been lucky enough to have a preview of the work that Nev's done to put those uh, segments together. And, and I've got to tell you, guys and girls, that you have got something incredibly special to look forward to um, in uh, in future shows with these uh, interviews with Sir Richard Johns because they are fantastic. And uh, Nev, you really you really have done. Uh, you pulled the uh, full, pulled a whole bag of cats out of the bag, I think, uh, on this one. So well, <laughs> well done. That's very nice. I, I mean, I just point the camera and you know edit it together. But uh, again, we've got to thank Captain Nick oh, for yes. doing such a sterling job of, uh, of doing all the research and uh, talking to Sir Richard as well. It was uh, it was fantastic. And uh, of course, when you're filming these things, you, you miss a lot of it. And it's not until you play it all back afterwards you realise how good it was. So I think uh, I think everybody's going to enjoy this very much. So when we are going to start the show then, as we do with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Nev. I am, yes. Let's go.
So kicking off this week's first news story, and uh, this one is on the um, expressstar.com website. And uh, big news here in the UK, really, because uh, we all had the story of, um, last week, I think it was, never about Flybe. And uh, Virgin Atlantic confirms it is considering a takeover of the ailing airline Flybe. So shares in Flybe took off. Very good there. After Virgin Atlantic confirmed it was in talks about taking over the struggling airline. Flybe is the biggest airline operating at Birmingham Airport, employing around 400 people at the airport, where it currently runs around 750 flights a week on 29 routes. But now the regional airline put itself up for sale last week, um, over warning after profits uh, for the earlier year. Uh, Virgin Atlantic, part owned by Sir Richard Branson, is thought to be varying, uh, vying with Stobart Air. Uh, to buy Flybe and is interested in its takeoff and landing slots at London's Heathrow Airport. In a statement the, uh, from City, the uh, Virgin confirmed it was reviewing options in respect of Flybe, uh, which range from enhanced commercial arrangements to a possible offer for Flybe. Flybe's shares were up nearly 20% in stock market trading during the morning. Uh, when the news broke at 11.4 pence as a result of speculation over the deal. The Exeter-based carrier is battling challenging conditions in the airline industry, which has been hit with failing demand and a £29 million hit from rising fuel costs uh, and the weak pound. Uh, Flybe has 78 aircraft operating from smaller airports, including Birmingham, uh, London City, Southampton and Norwich here, just up the road from us, and flies to destinations all around Europe. Trade unions have uh, already raised concerns over the impact of Flybe's sale on the carrier's 2,300 employees. Uh, but uh, statutory pre-tax profits for the six months to September the 30th more than halved to £7.4 million from £16.1 million earlier uh, in the year. It saw group revenues fall 10% uh, or 2.4% on an underlying basis to £409.2 million after it cut capacity by 9%. Now, what do you reckon, Nev? Do you think this is going to work? Uh, obviously, mm. you said about the um, slots at uh, Heathrow. Well, yes. I mean, poor old Flyby. They don't have to come in for some stick sometimes. Everybody's always complaining about being late or calling them fly maybe and, and that kind of stuff. But I think there's a genuine uh, need and requirement for this kind of regional operation in the UK. And in March of next year, they're going to be starting a Heathrow to Newquay service. So perhaps I might just give the airline a quick tinkle and see if they want me to do a review uh, for them on the inaugural fl flight, perhaps, and get to Mr. Philip Davis on board as well. That would be good. But um, um, this, I, I think the airline is extremely viable and I think it needs some good investment behind it. Um, so let's see what happens over the next few weeks because I think it could be uh, quite significant. But um, yeah, I think it, they're, they're a great airline and also very useful as a feeder hub, uh, I would imagine, from Norwich. Do they fly to Schiphol um, as well? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, actually. I think they possibly do, yeah. Mm. So they're very good feeder airlines into the into the main hub airports as well. So let's see what happens because uh, yeah, I think we definitely need a a fly B. No question about it. Boom. So Nev, uh, the next story is uh, an awesome one for you as always with uh, with BA. 
It is, and it's on the independent.co.uk website. And this is uh, some more excellent content from uh, Captain Dave Walsworth of, of BA. And he's posted another illuminating video from the cockpit, this time on BA's inaugural uh, Boeing 787 flight to Johannesburg in South Africa. Uh, Dave, who has more than 58,000 followers across Twitter and Instagram, has become a social media sensation thanks to his behind-the-scenes footage and photos showing what it is like to fly from a pilot's perspective. Uh, his latest clip, uploaded to YouTube on the 20th November, shows the last 10 minutes of flight uh, BA-51 landing at the airport on the 29th of October. The aircraft was captained by Simon Scully with Senior First Officer Mark Grigg at the controls and Senior First Officer Nigel Holgate in the jump seat. The video shows two perspectives, one from the cockpit and the other from outside the plane, giving a clearer view of the Johannesburg landscape. Uh, it's captioned to describe the step-by-step -step process of landing the Dreamliner from turning towards the runway and lowering the undercarriage to changing the wind flap settings and taking control of the aircraft for landing. Uh, a lovely landing by Mark, writes Captain Dave, as the jet hits the runway smoothly. I hope it doesn't hit the runway. Uh, but uh, the aircraft was uh, the Boeing 787-8 Golf Zulu Bravo Juliet Hotel, and it landed on the airport's 03 right runway. Uh, ten of uh, aviation fans uh, commented on the video on Twitter asking, uh, asked Captain Dave extra questions about certain elements of the landing procedure. Uh, previous videos from Captain Dave of flights touching down in San Francisco have netted hundreds of thousands of views online. Uh, another of his videos shows the A380, the world's largest passenger plane, taking off from London's Heathrow Airport. According to the heart rate monitor of my watch, my pulse during takeoff is lower than what it, than what it is driving to work on the M25, says Captain Dave on film. One of my main reasons for producing these videos is to show how relaxed our working environment is. I hope that our no, more nervous passengers will see we are totally at ease with flying. So he's done some uh, great content, and it's great that BA are behind all this as, as well to allow him to do it. Um, so I hope we see lots more from Dave uh, on this kind of stuff because it's uh, really compelling viewing, I think. Yeah, I watched the uh, watched this video Nev uh, yesterday afternoon and uh, had it on the on the big screen at home, and uh, it's 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 so it's awesome just to see this from from the perspective of um, you know like the the pilot's eye view as such. And the great thing as well is you can see all the flight deck and and everything they're doing on the approach and stuff. And um, yeah, it's 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 another one of those awesome videos that there's there's a lot of on uh, on YouTube. Yeah. I don't know whether you trawl YouTube much now for the uh, the cockpit oh, videos. Just quite a lot, yes. <laughs> so the next story is uh, on the. Where are we here? Let's get this page back up. Blimey, Matt makes us look so easy when he's here on his own. This is on uh, flightglobal.com, and uh, the headline here is uh, Loud Emotion Takes First A320s Under Ryanair Ownership. Yeah. Ryanair unit Loud Emotion has taken delivery of the first two Airbus A320s being leased from SMBC, Aviation Capital. The aircraft, MSNs 9, uh, 2924 and 2928, are the first aircraft delivered on lease to the Austrian carrier since Ryanair increased its stake in the operator to a majority share early this year. The first aircraft has been uh, just been delivered to Loud Emotion, while the second will follow in January next 
next year. Once cabin reconfiguration has been complete, the fleet's uh, analyzer shows the two aircraft uh, are 2006 build models. Uh, Lada Motion Managing Director Andreas Gruber says that uh, we are pleased to conclude this deal with SMBC Aviation Capital for these two Airbus aircraft following the acquisition of 75% in Lauda Motion by Ryanair. This is an exciting time for the airline as it enhances its fleet. Uh, a consortium led by Nikki Lauda acquired assets of Austrian carrier Nikki. Uh, the leisure carrier Lauda founded uh, from administrators earlier this year. It launched flights earlier from summer on former Nikki routes using Airbus narrow-body aircraft and Ryanair, who obviously all have the Boeing 737 uh, operator, uh, quickly took a stake in the carrier ahead of acquiring a majority holding and now it flies uh, as a Ryanair subsidiary. SMBC Cap Aviation Capital Chief Executive Peter Barrett says that in 2003 uh, they leased one of our first Boeing aircraft to Ryanair. We are delighted how to, uh, now to include the transaction uh, with the airline for its first Airbus aircraft uh, which will be incorporated into the Lauda Motion fleet. Now Nev, do you think that we'll see possibly in the future um, these, uh, these Airbuses uh, with some Ryanair uh, livery on? Mm, interesting, isn't it? Because Ryanair's business model has always been about keeping the same type of aircraft in their fleet. And obviously, this is somebody else's fleet. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you. It would not surprise me at all to see some uh, uh, Ryanair stuff going on there. The, 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 clearly, there's a, there's a market for that, for those kind of uh, interconnecting routes and, and uh, regional routes, especially in Austria and Switzerland, I guess, as well. So, um, yeah, might might well see some. Yeah, so it would be uh, it would be interesting to see those whizzing around the uh, the country because we all you know as, as we said everyone's used to seeing the uh, Ryanair livery on the seven three seven. So um, yeah, it'd be good. I think it'd be a good addition. I think uh, for them to to have a, a not a hugely mixed fleet, but obviously the three twenty is a very popular narrow body aircraft all around Europe. So so Nev, next story is uh, is well, all yours. No one's having their their lunch or breakfast or dinner because on the uh, foxnews.com website uh, it tells us that uh, airlines are shrinking the size of their toilets in an effort to squeeze more passengers in but as these pictures show it's becoming a tight fit. More seats mean more revenue in a business where profit margins are squeezed tight and it seems passenger comfort has been pushed aside. Well, no change there, I can tell you that. Um, passengers have already begun complaining about the new toilets and there are even fears that smaller size could lead to more air rage incidents. American Airlines estimates adding extra seats could generate $500 million per year and it's beginning to use smaller bathrooms on its new Boeing 737 MAX aircraft. New toilets are 25, sorry, 24.5 inches wide, 10 inches smaller than on uh, those uh, airlines' older 737 models, which allows 12 more passengers into the cabin. According to reports, passengers says that, say that the toilets are so tiny, it's a struggle to wash more than one hand at a time. Water is also said to splash everywhere as sinks are so small. Flight attendants have complained that the rest of the plane is so cramped that if both toilet doors are open, they get stuck in the galley. Uh, for tall passengers, such as six foot four uh, Barry Brandes, a retired singer, singer from Summers, New York, 
who travel several times a year on United Airlines, that means an even tighter squeeze. If I don't duck, I hit my head on the door. I can't stand up completely, so I have to twist myself into a pretzel to use the facility, he told New York Times. Even for people of average height, the size of toilets is becoming a problem. Uh, Eddie Santos, who's five feet eight inches, recently flew from Los Angeles to Washington and told the Washington Post, I had to twist my shoulder just to get in. It was uncomfortable. And uh, the editor-at-large for the travel website, thepointsguy.com, posted a picture of himself uh, standing inside one of the new toilets. Well, that was careless, wasn't it? Um, But he wrote... Oh, fun. What's this little thing? A vertical luggage storage compartment. On a United flight from Houston to Orlando, he watched passengers as they emerged from the smaller lavatories and said all of them seemed really surprised. Fears have also been raised about the air rage stemming from the new small toilet size. We believe that uh, these lavatories contribute greatly to the general decline of the in-flight experience and have the potential to lead to increased incidents of air rage, said Shane Staples, a spokesman for the Association of Professional Flight Attendants at American Airlines. American Airlines Captain Jimmy Walton said that the new 737 MAX bathroom was the most miserable experience in the world. You've added 12 more seats, no more lavatories, and you've shrunk that lavatory to 75% of what it was before. I can't turn around in it, he said. Uh, Jami uh, Counter, Vice President of Flights at the TripAdvisor and SeatGuru.com air travel sites, said airlines have decided that the lavatory doesn't matter that much as they try to squeeze in more seats. I think they may have gone a bit too far. <laughs> They're taking it off of what is already a very skinny configuration. Well, I suppose it's okay as long as you have decided what you're going to do before you go in, if you sort of mean. Yeah, it's uh, the, the the shrinking, uh, the whole shrinking toilets thing. I think has been uh, been a subject matter for some time now on on the various uh, various platforms of the passenger experience kind of thing. But um, I do see the point. I mean, some of the pictures. I mean, I would put them up on the screen, but I can't seem to get the NDI capture thing to work, unfortunately. But uh, some of the pictures, if you go, if you take yourselves over to the foxnews.com website and um, and and look up airline passengers share frustrations with shrinking bathroom uh, bathrooms, um, there are some rather interesting photos here. And I must say, Nev, I mean, I've travelled on on three twenties, the seven threes, um, and I can't remember the loos ever being quite this. Tight. What did no, <laughs> no. I think that there's um, there's normally a reasonable amount of room in, in sort of all the short haul flights that I take, which tend to be on Airbus aircraft these days because of the, the route network, and and they're fine. That they're they're just fine. But th- these ones, I think they've probably gone a step too far <laughs> uh, or too narrow, maybe because um, yes, some of the ladies and gentlemen that are of the larger size will will definitely. Uh, struggle in fact by the sounds of it even people of average size may may struggle too come I in if you do want a huge bathroom with a shower and um you know plenty of room to 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 run around then all you've got to do is is basically pay you know pay sort of 15 or 20,000 pounds and buy yourself a um, a first class flight uh, with say Etihad or Emirates or something like that what do you think Nev uh, well, that's the, that's certainly an option, yeah. Uh, but um, no, I think, and this is the problem, isn't it? Obviously, that they're trying to squeeze so much more revenue out of the whole flying experience. It, it, I mean, it must be quite difficult. But I think reducing the toilet size, 
to to this i think that's just probably uh it's going to make people upset i think it's going to be make make it very difficult for the crew as well because you're trying to maneuver people in and out of these places it's uh, it's a bit tight at the best of times but uh, yeah i think they're going to have a problem with this definitely on the plus side though nev there is some really lovely neon um lighting in in these toilets Oh, well, that, that easily <laughs> compensates for it then, doesn't it? Surely. <laughs> so, so moving on to the next story, and this one is on uh, um, Indie100.com. And uh, this is, um, Nev, this is a story that I found earlier this week whilst I was um, very busy at work and uh, on the various interweb sites. And uh, I watched this guy's video on YouTube. And for those of you um, who, you may have seen this story, uh, but it was, very entertaining, I will say. So the headline is Man Leaves Bad Review of Airline During Flight and It Only Makes Things Worse. So the headline, or the story is that writing reviews of uh, or criticising a brand, venue or service is part and parcel on the internet these days. You can literally find reviews for anything these days uh, on the internet with or without consequence. However, you probably shouldn't write a review of something when you're using it especially when you're on board an aircraft. For some reason, that's exactly what uh, travel vlogger Josh Cahill, or Cahill uh, did during a recent flight with Malaysia Airlines from Kuala Lumpur to London. Uh, Cahill has a big following on YouTube, which he does, and an Instagram following, and according to, his, uh, according to him, he has flown with Malaysia Airlines before. Uh, while in the air, Cahill noticed that the hospitality of the crew wasn't quite up to scratch, and the in-flight entertainment system wasn't working, and the food was... Yeah, I watched it. It was pretty not very nice at all. Uh, halfway through his 14-hour flight, he shared his discontent by posting on Instagram. From there on, he says, the experience got worse, uh, as it became obvious the crew had seen the post. Um, <laughs> it probably didn't help that he tagged Malaysia Airlines in the post as well, and the crew were not best pleased. Cahill said he was denied refreshments, including water, and told to stop filming on his phone, and was even publicly shouted at uh, by one member of the in-flight team. Cahill eventually agreed to stop filming, but when he arrived in London, a representative from the airline was there to meet him, who did apologise for his experience. He then said that he received a string of template apology emails from the company, including one from the CEO, uh, and is now of the opinion that he knew exactly who he was and trying to stop him from documenting anything else about the flight. Uh, Cahill has put together a 20-minute review of the inf uh, flight on YouTube where he goes into great detail on how he claims he was treated. Uh, Cahill flies around 150 times uh, a year and he obviously knows a thing or two about what makes a good flight. And although the staff acted unprofessionally, he uh, perhaps will think twice the next time he is compelled to write a bad post during a flight. And uh, now I did watch the video for this uh, on YouTube and, um, uh, you know, you have to kind of watch these things and think, well, did this really happen? Was it that bad? You know, and it was. He literally, as soon as, uh, I think it was um, the um, this customer service centre had obviously uh, messaged the aircraft of the flight deck and uh, the captain had obviously passed on the message to uh, to the kind of senior uh, flight crew or flight attendants on the, on the flight. And they 
really did turn on the uh, turn on the screws to him because he was he was just treated like 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 rubbish basically uh, refused drink as he said and uh, and all through a post that I think pretty much these days anyone who has a bad experience at a restaurant or uh, a hotel you know if you're there and you're getting treated bad you're going to tweet it because tweets are I think one of the biggest ways to complain to companies now uh, especially the big companies now and you know most big companies now have a 24 7 um twitter uh follow you know group uh, sort of management team that all look after all the uh, complaints via twitter and obviously this guy done this on instagram and um yeah it was it makes a good uh, watch if you uh, if you go onto youtube and uh you look up josh on there you'll uh, you'll find uh, find the video and it uh, it's it's all in high definition you'll be pleased to know nev um, oh, and the, sound, the sound quality is good as well, but yeah, Josh Cahill, look him up on YouTube. What what do you think about this, Nev? Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a bit of a point here, but I think there's, there's ways <laughs> and means of of going about these things. And of course, the reason that people take to Twitter or social media generally to air their complaints is that their complaints aren't or, or rarely dealt with properly at the time, whether it's a restaurant or or, or what have you. So they they feel obliged compelled and entitled maybe to uh, put this on social media but if you do that then you've got to expect um some possible um uh, consequences of it and so from, from my point of view if i if i've got a problem anywhere it doesn't matter where it is i really try hard to to resolve it you know locally on the day or, or where it is if you possibly can i think tweeting stuff up um it, it can be inflammatory and i think that uh, you've got to be very careful before you do it um nonetheless i mean if he has received a problem or some bad service then that's fair comment because that's what the free speech thing's all about surely but um yeah you've got to be a little bit careful about how you go about it i i think personally mariana makes a good point actually in the chat room she says that um most people are quick to post complaints uh, but not compliments. Now I I hold my hand up, and I, I I'm not that person. I will always um, post um, TripAdvisor reports when I have great experiences or when I have bad experiences, um, or I'll tweet when I've had a great experience, and I'll try and mention the person's name, especially if I'm in a hotel or a restaurant. I'll always uh, try and get the person's name who who's given me a great service and and post that because I think that helps for them in their uh, in their job. But yeah, Mariana, that is true. I think um, a lot of people will uh, post complaints rather than uh, post uh, compliments. Are, are you a Nev? Are you a, a big Twitter user, as in uh, um, using for sort of complaining? No, I'm not really, um, because uh, I just for, for me, I, I just don't see that as as the right platform to to do it with i'll certainly use it for compliments or if there's been some excellent service or, or whatever it is i'm very happy to put it on there but i've rarely used it for for complaining about things again, again as i said before i try to resolve it on the day where i am but if you can't then you end up sending an email but of course this is the problem with sending emails it just gets lost in the system somewhere or the provider can choose not to respond to you at all uh, but of course the moment you put it in the twitterverse then uh, everybody can see it and it, it becomes you know massively negative publicity for the company uh, potentially although of course there are always two sides to every story so i think that 
when there are genuine complaints and the company tries to do its very best to resolve it, that's fair enough. But there's, you never quite know who, whose side of the story to believe as an outside mm. viewer of these things, I would say. But I suppose in one way, uh, Nev, though, before we could move on, I suppose it, um, it does it proves a point that uh, Malaysia Airlines obviously has good Wi-Fi. Well, that's very true, and um, I haven't actually looked at this video, but I hope he didn't shoot it vertically. I hope he shot it horizontally and, and, and properly. <laughs> no, Otherwise, I might have to make a complaint about it. No, it's done properly. Don't panic. Well, that's good. That's the main thing. Yep. Excellent. So, Nev, Nev, uh, the next story uh, is uh, is for you, and it's uh, <laughs> this one. This one amused me quite a bit, actually. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it's on the USA Today, and the headline says, Passengers reportedly asked to help pay for repair on Lot Polish Airline Flight. And uh, it says that passengers on a Polish Airlines flight were asked to help pay for their plane's repairs, according to British media outlets Metro and the Daily Mail. The flight from Beijing to Poland early in November was delayed due to a hydraulic issue which required a new pump before takeoff, according to the news site. After mechanics demanded cash payment for a new pump, passengers were asked to contribute to the bill, which ran into about $350. Lot Polish Airlines spokesman uh, told the Daily Mail, an employee at the Boeing warehouse in Beijing refused to accept a bank transfer and insisted on cash. There are no circumstances that justify asking money from passengers. Uh, in a statement to the Metro, uh, the uh, airline apologised for the incident and said that the passengers were compensated for the delays and those who contributed were reimbursed. I know that you encountered an unusual situation today for which I would like to apologise from the bottom of my heart, he said. Uh, the repairs delayed the flight for about 10 hours before landing safely in Warsaw, uh, the news uh, site's report. Uh, USA Today has reached out to lot for comment but clearly they have not commented further um bit of a shame um wouldn't be the first time that this has happened i don't think and i have heard situations talking to various airline captains over the years where they've been down route and there's been a, a money problem somewhere so they've had to use their own credit card uh, in order to uh, get fuel onto the plane so that's one thing i think asking the passengers uh, to contribute is probably a step too far possibly <laughs> but there you are would you have uh, would you have um, given a couple of quid Nev if you're on the flight? Oh yeah, d definitely. Yes, I think if it helps people out and um, you know, uh, uh, and they took the the, the BA uh, American Express card, absolutely fine, and I get some Avios points as well. So as long as I got a receipt, get me money back, I suppose. So moving on to uh, to the next story, and uh, this one is is a great one for those of you guys and girls out there who've got young children. And uh, this is on the sun.co.uk website, obviously um, one of uh, Nev's favourite uh, publications online. And, uh, and the headline is, An End to Screaming Kids. Hmm. Airline introduces beds for kids on planes in economy at just 34 quid. So a new design from Budget Airline June will allow children to drift off to sleep on flight beds. So they will now be able to put their children uh, into a bed in economy uh, with just a price tag of 34 quid for two kids. So the, uh, the bed itself on uh, low-cost carrier June, uh, which is a part of or an arm of Air France, is installing P Puma, P Puma beds? Puma? Puma? Oh. 
are Puma beds, uh, which are designed by a company called Gevin on its A340 aircraft. They'll be named Cozy June seats, and uh, it reports that the uh, beds make use of the spaces where the legs go when sitting up, extending uh, the seat out to create enough space for a child to go to sleep instead. Uh, Air New Zealand introduced a bed that goes across three seats earlier this year for kids to sleep on while sitting with a parent, but this involves paying for three seats. The clever new design on June will mean families only have to pay for a normal seat price for each child. Uh, the designs uh, are aimed at families travelling with uh, two children or more. Cozy June seats will be available on each of the airline's A340s, but there are limited numbers. Uh, they will be in rows 33 to 36 and are designated for families with two children or more. Uh, they'll cost uh, 20 euros extra or £17 per child, which is not bad when you consider how much less stress a flight could be for your family. Sun Online Travel previously revealed the best way to keep kids happy on a flight as advised by cabin crew and pilots on their website. And uh, these tips include investing in noise-cancelling headphones, which I'm sure Nev has probably got a pair of those for his flights. So the uh, cabin uh, centre, uh, senior cabin crew, said that bringing noise-cancelling headphones for uh, newborn babies and toddlers helped them to feel calm and relaxed, as well as helping with the pressure change. Actually, that's not a bad idea, Nev, for, uh, for kids having those noise-cancelling headphones, because that probably would take a lot of the stress out of flying mm. but, uh, well yes looking possibly. at these what do you think of these beds now i think I, so unfortunately i can't put the the blooming pictures on the screen but um for those of you take yourselves over to the sun website and uh, it, it I, I think it's a really good idea I, I i do think it's a good idea yeah and i think that anything they can do to, to help children that that's a good thing with regard to noise cancelling headphones, though, I've got to say, and it, it, it's caught me out before, um, and it happened, in fact, coming back from Gibraltar the other week, where I've um, got uh, Mrs. Nev's noise cancelling headphones on, I think it was, and uh, I sort of was so comfortable with it, I forgot to clear my ears as, as we're descending, you know, in, into Heathrow, and... Um, it wasn't until we actually got on the ground. I thought, oh, I really should have, you know, yawned to, to try and uh, clear my ears a bit because when you've got noise cancelling headphones on, um, it sort of puts you in a bit of a cocoon, as it were, and you, everything else is, is shut out. So I still think it's quite important to be able to clear ears properly on the, on the descent into airports. Otherwise, it can be very painful indeed, especially if you've got a bit of a cold or, or blocked ear. Uh, nonetheless, though, anything that can be done to uh, improve the lives of those on board whether it's children or adults i think gets my vote definitely now i, I i've got a set of uh, noise cancelling headphones which i use when i'm when i'm flying and i used them uh, last week when i was with armando we had a little flight and uh, they do make a whole world of difference i tell you when you're flying ga aircraft to to be able to uh, to have noise cancelling headphones on takes it just takes so much noise away from uh, the engine noise and stuff mm. it makes everything so crystal clear um, but that's they're slightly i mean it's, it's the same idea but a slightly kind of different thing to obviously the, the posh ones that uh, obviously you have never when you're flying uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're a bose man Oh, yes. Um, and uh, I get a lot of uh, stick from my colleagues about the Bose products. I do like 
uh, a lot of what they do. And um, but uh, no, I I do quite like them. And they're actually, uh, Mrs. Nevs. In fact, I just borrow them when I'm off on various trips myself. But yeah, it certainly reduces the fatigue level. And uh, as you say, in GA, it's almost essential. I, I would say otherwise, it's just so noisy, isn't it? Mm. Uh, but yeah, makes makes a huge difference. Definitely. Now the next story, uh, Nev, is for you, and it's obviously. Uh, and one of the airlines we talk about a lot on the show uh, winning another load of awards. They do, don't they? And there's no stopping this airline at the moment because uh, on the Emirates247.com website, it says that uh, the company made a clean sweep this week with award wins across multiple countries from Russia and Belgium to the UAE, a testament to the airline's consistent delivery of in uh, industry-leading travel experiences for its diverse customer base and its commitment to investing in innovative products that will ensure its customers fly better. Emirates was named Best Airline in the World and Best Airline in the Middle East at the prestigious 2018 Ultras. In a vote taken by over 500,000 readers of the Telegraph's luxury travel magazines, Ultra Travel UK and uh, ultra travel middle east the awards recognize the world's best providers of luxury travel experiences so tim clark president of em uh, emirates airlines uh, received the award at a ceremony held last night in dubai at the iconic Bur uh, al arab jeremiah hotel uh, the ceremony was attended by key members of the global travel industry. In Russia, Emirates was recognized for its operational excellence and outstanding customer services uh, when it scooped two prestigious awards as Best International Airline at the 8th uh, National Geographic Traveler Awards 2018 and Best Middle Eastern Airline at the Business Traveler Russia and CIS Awards 2018. The National Geographic Traveler Awards ceremony was attended by industry leading figures as well as media representatives from across Europe. Earlier this week in Belgium, Emirates was named the Best Long Haul Airline 2018 at the Travel Magazine Awards 2018. The ceremony was attended by 700 industry lead leading figures, travel professionals and media representatives. This is the 21st Travel Magazine Travel Awards, where global brands are recognized as best hospitality providers in Belgium. Emirates is an industry trendsetter when it comes to providing a better customer experience, both on board and on the ground. Emirates was the first to unveil enclosed first-class private suites in 2004, and in 2017, the airline took luxury travel to the next level with its new Boeing 777-300ER first-class private suites. With floor-to-ceiling, the new Emirates Boeing 777 suites are in a league of their own when it comes to exceptional luxury and privacy. The spacious, fully enclosed private suites are laid out in a 111 configuration, offering up to 40 square feet of personal space each. Well, that's incredible, isn't it? The new private suites also showcase the latest in cutting-edge onboard technologies, including a NASA-inspired zero-gravity seating position, virtual windows for middle-aisle suites, and a personal video call service, along with unique lighting and climate control features. Over the last 12 months, Emirates has continued to deliver on its fly better promise to customers, elevating the customer experience through significant enhancements to its Boeing 777 and A380 aircraft. The airline invested 150 million US dollars uh, to introduce a new business class cabin and configuration on its fleet of Boeing 777-200LR aircraft. On the 
uh, A380, Emirates' newly enhanced onboard lounge continues to wow its customers with modern finishes and expanded seating options. Emirates also continues to provide customers across all classes unrivaled entertainment options with more than 3,500 channels in over 40 languages through its in-flight entertainment system, ICE. On the ground, Emirates' seven business class lounges at Dubai International Airport concourses A, B and C recently underwent $11 million, uh, $11 million worth of makeover, reflecting the airline's attention to the ground experience as an integral part of the customer journey. Emirates' global network of dedicated lounges has grown to 42, reaffirming its commitment to ensuring a consistent experience for its premium customers and Skywards members. Uh, Emirates operates a modern and efficient all-wide body fleet comprising 270 Airbus A380 and Boeing 777 aircraft. The airline has continued to expand internationally and today flies to 159 destinations in 85 countries, connecting passengers and facilitating trade across six continents to and through its Dubai hub. Those numbers are just eye-watering, aren't they, Carlos? <laughs> it's an incredible yeah. airline these days, and the expansion they, that they've made uh, over the last few years has been really significant. I think, isn't it? Yeah, they've um, they've really gone, you know, all in with the with the service, especially and stuff. Obviously, with the introduction of their um, their big posh first class suite and the triple seven three hundreds, which um, obviously I had the chance to go in last year in the Dubai Air Show and have a look around in that, and that is a phenomenal experience on that because it is a fully enclosed suite the first class suites on there mm. um but even i've always said before even the um, emirates economy class is, is really good it is it's it's so good uh leg room you know seat pitch everything is is great the service the food the drinks um and obviously their in-flight entertainment as the story says is is you know it's it's very very good for good quality screens good quality touch screens um yeah the only, th- the only thing that Gemma did say that when she flew back from uh, Dubai a few weeks back was that uh, they don't do their hot towel service anymore when you uh, board oh. the aircraft, which is which is a shame. Hmm, shame. Not a showstopper, but you know, <laughs> one of those nice to have things. Yeah. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the Post and Courier website and uh, we always talk about the russians um uh, every now and again on the show kind of flying in and uh, upsetting the uh, royal air force but i think boeing couldn't do without them because uh, supersized russian carrier uh, to keep production on track at boeing's north Car- uh, north charleston campus uh, federal regulators say that a russian airline that specializes in transporting heavy duty cargo will be allowed to haul jet engines uh, to Boeing's uh, Dreamliner campus to avoid end-of-year production delays. U.S. Department of Transportation this week approved an emergency exemption for uh, Yulanovsk, Russia's based carrier Volga Depna to carry, and I hope I pronounced that right, to carry engines from uh, GE Aviation's Evandale, Ohio plant to the 787 assembly sites in North Charleston, Everett, uh, Washington. Volga Depna already has permission to fly cargo between Russia and the United States, but no point-to-point within the U.S. Uh, Volga applied for the exemption as part of an effort to meet GE's delivery commitments for Boeing uh, without causing undue delay in Boeing's production line. 
Failure to deliver the engines by air could delay production and subsequent delivery of Boeing's aircraft, which would cause financial harm to GE Aviation, uh, Boeing and their customers, uh, who said in the application for the exemption. The carrier added that the exemption is necessary uh, to respond to an emergency created by unusual circumstances uh, not arising in normal courses of business. The application did not specify which, uh, what the uh, unusual circumstances were and our, our, our spokesperson for GE Aviation could not be reached for comment. Boeing did not specify, uh, specifically address any production issues involving the GE engines. Uh, spokeswoman Libba Holland said in a statement that we regularly work with our suppliers and use various transportation methods to deliver parts to support our production system. Boeing has been ups, uh, beset by supplier issues this year, most uh, notably on its 737 program, but also on the 787 program as it ramps up production of aircraft. Boeing plans to build 14 of its wide-bodied uh, 787 Dreamliners each month beginning uh, next year, up from the current rate of 12 aircraft per month split between North Charleston and Everett sites. Volga Deppner says it plans to transport engines and other parts and equipment on the Antonov 124-100 aircraft, the world's largest military transport plane, with a maximum payload of more than £330,000, almost twice, twice that of a C-17 Globemaster. Uh, Volga wow. said that uh, no civil aircraft operated by U.S. carriers are capable of carrying oversized cargo and ground transportation is impractical because the engines are needed on an expedited basis. Well, it's uh, safe to say, Nev, that uh, obviously it's, um, it's one hell of an aircraft. Um, yeah. Seen this in the air, not seen it on the ground, but seen it in the air, uh, flying over over East Anglia here. Um, but uh, it's, um, yeah, it's. I think it's a good idea. I think that um, Boeing have uh, took this option because obviously they can transport a hell of a lot of stuff in one hit with this. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, and when it says the last paragraph there that it's uh, capable of tw the, twice the payload of the Globemaster, it's just absolutely incredible size, this aircraft. And it, they got an operation out of Stansted, is that right? For the Yes, they have. Cargo? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 they're flying it out of there. It's um, it's one of those aircraft that uh, when when the kind of the news hits the um the aviation kind of network that all the spotters descend on Stansted mm -hmm. uh, when this aircraft comes in because it is obviously a marvel to see in the sky. But um, so Nev, moving on to the next story, and uh, it's a milestone I think for uh, for Boeing this one. It is, isn't it? And uh, I had to read this story a couple of times. So I couldn't believe what I was seeing. <clears throat> it's on the businesstraveler.com. And it says that Boeing celebrates the 787th Dreamliner with a special livery. And uh, Boeing has created this special delivery for the delivery of its 787th Dreamliner aircraft, which will be delivered to China Southern. The manufacturer posted images of the aircraft on its Twitter page, along with the following message. The 787th 787 Dreamliner is freshly painted. This jet will soon join China Southern's fleet with 210-plus uh, non-stop new routes around the world, the largest windows and other cabin comforts. No wonder passengers love it. The aircraft features the wording 787th Boeing 787 emblazoned in red and blue on the fuselage. 
China Southern has a total of 30 uh, Dash 8s and uh, Dash 9 aircraft in order, with 17 delivered so far. Uh, Japanese airline ANA was the launch customer for the Boeing Dreamliner in 2011. And to date, over 40 airlines have taken delivery of the Boeing 787 family aircraft. That's an incredible number, isn't it, Carlos? I, I didn't, hadn't realised how many they had been manufacturing, but that's a, that's a big number, isn't it, in such a relatively short space of time? It is, yeah, it is. It's, um, it's, it's one of those um, liveried aircraft that uh, Boeing liked to do, I think, because they, they'd done this as well with the 737 uh, when they had, um, I think it was their 2000th or 1000th, I think I forget it was now. Uh, they painted one up specially for the airline that uh, they sold it to. And uh, for those of you, take yourselves over to businesstraveler.com or, or look up this, the 787th Boeing 787, and you'll see it's uh, it's a nice paint scheme, This because I'm a big lover of the colour blue, obviously. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's it's great to see this, uh, this aircraft um, obviously painted up with the 787 or the 787th Boeing 787 logo on the oh. side. But also... Uh, Nev, you know, with the ramping up production of the 787, it's not going to be long before they hit a 1,000. I know, exactly. And, um, yeah, uh, uh, well, it's uh, th despite the, the problems that they've had uh, initially oh, yes. with this aircraft, um, you know, the usual engine things and the battery problems they had, uh, and you're going to get that w with new aircraft on the line, aren't you? Um, so, uh, but, uh, no, they are certainly uh, got, they've got their foot hard down uh with uh, producing more and more of these and clearly it's a very popular aircraft i certainly like flying on it and um i'm looking forward to doing that again in july when Ooh. mrs nev and i go to toronto <gasps> are you, ne are you ne do you know anyone that lives in toronto um oh, could be someone in the chat room no there you are ah. so uh yeah looking forward to that very much so, uh, yeah. Who, what's the uh, airline of choice uh, nev for your trip across today Oh, uh, that'll be BA, uh, Carlos, uh, just as a bit of a surprise for you. Um, so, yes, we've got a, quite a nice deal with uh, those chaps and ladies. So we'll be uh, off to see Liz Piper in Toronto next year, which uh, I'm very much looking forward to, I have to say. Are they using the Dash 8 or Dash 9 on that route, Nev? Mm, uh, good question. I think it's a Dash 9. Uh, I'll need to double-check. I can't actually remember, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I probably I would have thought it would be the Dash 9. Have to mm. have to look that one up. So, uh, moving on to the next story, and this one is uh, a bit of a, a sad story, really, because it's, uh, it's uh, involving someone being hit by an aircraft, unfortunately. This one's on the independent.co.uk. And uh, a man is hit and killed by Boeing passenger plane on runway at Moscow Airport. So an Armenian being removed from uh, Spain sprints into the path of an 80-ton jet while boarding a transfer flight from Russia. A passenger plane taking off from Russia's biggest airport ran over and killed an Armenian man after he reportedly fled across the runway while he was being deported. Russian officials said the 25-year-old man died after being hit by the landing gear of a Boeing 737 as it took off from Moscow to Athens on a flight at uh, Shermatevo, Shermatevo mm. Airport. I know Pitt would probably know that one off by heart. Uh, the man, uh, named locally as Albert Yeperman, has uh, thought to have been discovered after the jet's crew told air traffic control to investigate the incident, uh, believing they'd hit an animal in the darkness. 
he was understood to have been in the process of being deported uh, from Spain, having initially been placed on a flight from Madrid to Moscow. He was then transferred on a flight to uh, Yerevan, the capital of Armenia, but escaped uh, to the runway while being placed uh, onto an airport taxi bus. Uh, the man went through the airport gate during boarding uh, for the flight and, uh, well, he ran onto the runway, unfortunately. And the uh, the story the story goes on to say that ground crews discovered damage to the fuselage and human remains on the exterior of the plane. Ooh, not very nice at all. Um, but uh, obviously they're going to investigate this uh, as to, because as, it's obviously a violation of air travel safety regulations uh, and uh, it's obviously it's going to be a case of uh, how did he manage to to escape Nev? And obviously it could have been a, a lot more serious than this had um, you know had the damage to the aircraft you know could have possibly been worse. It's got a whole load of trouble you know uh, lined up, hasn't it? You know if something uh, well, I can't even begin to th think about what the consequences of this would be. But uh, it's a very sad story, but a very worrying story as well in in terms of how somebody had access to the, the airside environment as well like that so, yeah sad story but sad uh, story. on a lighter note just to, to bring things back up again um nev the uh, the story that uh, on the independent here which is obviously uh, quite a big uh, newspaper here in the uk uh the story obviously uses a photograph of a of an aircraft here and um i, I just i can't put it on the screen which is really unfortunate but for those of you watching um it's uh well, the the picture in question is is not a Boeing, is it, Nev? Oh, let's have a look. Um, I've, I've just come off that page, actually. So, uh, um, uh, no, it's not. No, uh, that looks like some uh, looks like a uh, an A three twenty one, or maybe an A three twenty. Yes. So, well, I mean, why 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 bother with media accuracy? I mean, you know, it, it's a plane, isn't it? You know, so. Uh, so are we putting together then, Nev? Um, are you going to do a kind of Nev's um, media gaffes kind of segment? Yeah, well, yes, I, I think I will. I'm, I'm not going to do it as a regular segment. Otherwise, we won't have any time to do any real stuff. <laughs> uh, we'll just, you know, it'll be all populated with that. But, uh, yeah, maybe for um, a, a bit of a Christmas uh, feature possibly if i can uh, put it together in time we'll do uh, uh nev's top 10 media gaffes that would be uh quite good to do a, a top 10 wouldn't it um, i'm just making that's making this up on the fly obviously because i've informed nobody about it yet but uh, maybe i could put something together which would uh, show us the top 10 or the bottom 10 depending on which way you look at it uh yes aviation errors in the media exactly so Nev, the last story uh, for you is uh, is uh, well, it's a it's an Airbus story, obviously, uh, especially mm. for all our Airbus lovers. Yeah, it's on the aerotime.aero website. Um, it says that uh, it's quite an interesting story. I think uh, Airbus's latest plans may involve a new narrow-body jet as well as an upgraded version of its latest family of wide bodies, the A350XWB. And the playmaker is already hiring staff for the task, a report by Bloomberg uh, on November the 21st indicates. Bloomberg states that it has come across Airbus job postings for designers and engineers in Toulouse and Madrid, where the European Playmaker's two manufacturing sites are located, as additional manpower to work on the proposed projects. According to the job postings, the company is planning to produce a new short-haul model, as well as a Neo version of the A350, 
Both planes will be powered by a new generation of engines starting from mid-2025. Airbus says, however, that the search for new recruit does not guarantee the jets will actually be produced. Uh, Airbus knows it needs a new product to take on uh, Boeing, uh, Boeing's proposed new um, 797 mid-sized jet and would step on the turf of the blockbuster narrow-body A320neo. Meanwhile, the A350neo solution would aid Airbus's competition with Boeing in the wide-body market. Originally conceived in 2004, the Air3, uh, A350 long-range twin-jet, uh, uh, twin-engine jetliner was uh, positioned to compete with Boeing's 787 and 777. Now Airbus needs to brace for the upcoming 777X and the rumoured 797, which would be essentially be a smaller version of the 787 Dreamliner. Except that the uh, A350XWB is already an upgrade, an all-new and modern uh, family of Airbus mid-size uh, long-haul planes. The A350XWB family comes in two variants, the A350-900 and the A350-1000. The Dash 900 variant entered into service back in 2015 with launch customer Qatar Airways. Just earlier this year, on February the 20th of uh, 2018, Airbus announced uh, the, the, the sorry, it delivered the first A350-1000 to the carrier. Uh, Qatar Airways has a total of 37 orders for the latest model and is the largest A350 1000 customer in the world. Um, so there's new stuff going on at Airbus here as well, but uh, no mention of the uh, A220 in this article, so which I would have thought would have been the logical um, aircraft, you know, uh, short, shorter haul, uh, single aisle. But uh, maybe they've got something else up, up their sleeve that we don't know about. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know Boeing are obviously they're trying to, to fill the gap uh, and design, I think the 797 is to fill a kind of 757 gap that's been left, obviously, because 757s are starting to be phased out uh, as such across the world. They're still in, very much in use, but, um, you know, they're they're quite an old product now, the 757. They're trying to fill that gap. But as, Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, Neil Lamborn in the uh, chat room says, seems to me like uh, Airbus and Boeing lineups are getting very complicated. Uh, yeah. You could not be more correct, Neil. <laughs> have to say try keep up with it all yeah very much so i mean are we going to get to the stage now where we're going to start to run out of numbers here uh well that's a good point isn't it because obviously <laughs> yes yeah, 797 we you know uh they're gonna have to start renaming things completely but there's lots of dash you know 500 800 <laughs> yeah. 1000 stuff as a possibility as well so uh yeah it'd be interesting to see what what, what the next thing a bit like um number plates for your car isn't it when they start running out of uh, numbers and letters to use uh, but uh, we'll have to see what happens but uh, clearly there is a market for this kind of aircraft no, no question about it so that is where we bring the commercial news segment to a close this week uh, but uh, coming up next uh, we've got something incredibly awesome and i'm going to hand uh, hand that over to nev uh, to introduce Yes, well, this is one of these interviews that's taken a little while to tee up because uh, because it just did. <laughs> um, and uh, way back, I think, in March or April this year, I started talking to the folks at uh, RAF Gibraltar to see if they could accommodate an interview with me uh, when I was over there for my birthday at the start of November. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. Just a bit of background uh, on the uh, airfield itself. Um, RAF Gibraltar is a Royal Air Force state 
Foundation actually on Gibraltar and uh, no military aircraft are currently stationed there but RAF, Commonwealth and aircraft of other NATO nations periodically arrive for stop stopovers, exercises or other temporary duties. Uh, it's administered by the British Forces Gibraltar. Uh, the station is a joint civil-military facility that also functions as the ROC's civilian airport, Gibraltar Airport, with the civilian airport's passenger terminal and apron facilities located on the north side of the runway, whilst the apron and hangar of RAF Gibraltar is located on the south side of the runway. Well, I was very lucky to be uh, granted an interview with Trevor Hammond, who is the general manager of the ATC facility at Gibraltar. And with this shared facility of both military and civilian operations, I began by asking Trevor how this actually works in practice. To be honest, the, these days air, air traffic is so similar, both in the civil and the military, that uh, the, the two combine flawlessly, to be honest. Uh, there are absolutely no, no issues, the regulations are very similar in many respects, and the service we provide is with civil licences anyway, um, but as I say, in terms of phraseology and things like that, there are almost no differences. So, uh, yeah, flawlessly, I would have to say. So, in fact, you're employed by NATS rather than the RAF? Right I'm employed by NATS. It's quite a complex contract uh, in the way it's been managed because Gibraltar falls under a much wider MOD piece, which is a, a Marshall uh, Airports contract, which is uh, a process by which the MOD are refreshing the equipment at many of their airfields, and there are a number of air traffic services provided at a number of airfields, and, uh, and we fall under, under that contract. So I work for NATS. Nats is contracted to a, another company called Aquila, and Aquila is contracted directly to the MOD. All right, interesting. Um, now, since the construction of the new terminal uh, here in you know, the back end of 2011 and 2012, um, the whole airport seems to have taken on, on a new life. What other expansion plans does the airport have? And uh, will that mean that you'll have to update your systems here? Well, as I just alluded to, the, the MOD itself is updating a lot of our equipment, the radars, both primary and secondary radar, the, the radios. Uh, so that will, it won't involve a great deal of procedural changes for us. There will be certainly some changes in the way we, we see the equipment, the way the information is delivered to us. We'll have mode S on the SSR, for instance. So we'll have more information available. Uh, procedures should remain very similar. Hopefully we'll have nice, reliable equipment, modern equipment requiring relatively little servicing, which will be fantastic. The airport itself is uh, working there's a huge project going on at the moment to build a tunnel under the eastern threshold of the runway. Uh, that will clearly make a huge difference to the operation and the potential for the airfield. At the moment, of course, I'm sure many people will know that we have a, a very major highway that runs right across the middle of the runway. Uh, that highway links Gibraltar and Spain, so all traffic, all traffic, whether it's on foot, on bicycle, on motorbike or, or in lorries, everything has to go straight across the middle of the runway and that of course involves a process whereby every time an aircraft lands we have to close that road um, and make sure that the runway is available and safe for an aircraft to land on. In about 18 months we expect the tunnel project at the eastern end to be complete and then all of that traffic will be moved to the tunnel, uh, meaning that there's no no impact from it between aviation and that road transport, which would be fantastic because of course it means we can operate as many flights as we can possibly attract into the airfield 
without upsetting the the day-to-day -day workings of, of Gibraltar in terms of people's comings and goings. I was going to ask you about the tunnel project. This has been some time coming, hasn't it? Um, do you think it will totally transform the way the airport operates? It gives the airport a huge opportunity. It'll certainly transform the way we operate up in the tower because a, a large part of the process to make the runway safe for aircraft involves ensuring that we have the road closed, secured, the, the runway clean of any, any foreign object debris that, that may have fallen off a vehicle or litter that people may have, may have thrown. So, so clearly that takes some time to prepare the, the runway for an aircraft to land. All that process will disappear overnight once the, once the uh, tunnel is open uh, and we could potentially then exploit the runway to its full capacity. Uh, which could be as many as 12 movements an hour here. There's quite a long back track, so uh, it does limit us, but uh, 12 movements an hour would still be very significant if we could get anything like that. So huge potential once the, once the tunnel is completed, yes. Just think about the upgrades that you're thinking of doing and, and with technology advancing in the field of uh, GBAS, which is uh, ground-based augmentation systems. Um, are airlines looking for uh, better facilities at airports, you know, precision approaches and that kind of thing, so they could better utilise what we'll have available? Yes, of course. At the, at the moment, the, the way we operate here is uh, we, we do have a radar. We provide radar services to aircraft and tower services to aircraft. Uh, our, we, because of the nature of the approach to runway 09 in particular, which is 90, deg 90 degrees to the runway, uh, you fly up the uh, Bay of Gibraltar and then turn 90 degrees at about three miles. Uh, an ILS would be of no value whatsoever on that runway, it would do nothing. Uh, so uh, if uh, an aircraft needs a, a ground-based aid, we do that using the, using the primary radar and a surveillance radar approach would be flown. Clearly we have somebody uh, dedicated to providing that service so we can operate as many of those as, as, demand, as, as there is demand for them. Um, however, the local authority has also now invested in, a, in an RNAV approach, uh, so hopefully in the very near future uh, we'll have a, an RNAV approach available as well. I know pilots like to fly it already, uh, however at the moment there is a restriction because we're still, we're still proving the approach, so they can only fly it in good weather conditions Clearly it will be advantageous when they can fly it in poor weather conditions uh, and, uh, and that will clearly facilitate uh, arrivals for aircraft. It will also mean that they have more stable approaches, fewer go-arounds. Not that we have a huge number of go-arounds, but obviously it's one of the, one of the few airports that uh, a modern airline pilot has to fly the aircraft onto the ground these days. So uh, just occasionally, maybe because of the weather, maybe because of the wind, or maybe because we just haven't quite got the lineup correct, uh, we do have the odd, the odd go around because of that. Just thinking about that approach on to 09, of course that's a very critical uh, manoeuvre to carry out because obviously you want to steer clear of the, the Spanish uh, airspace, I guess. But how do you actually interface with, with your Spanish colleagues on a day-to-day on -day basis? Well, the centre is, is Seville um, and every aircraft is handed controller to controller, so there are no automatic processes there. So we communicate with Seville, we have a direct line and we talk every day, several times a day to them. Uh, we have a letter of agreement in place about how we operate and how we interface. And it works very well, to be honest. There are, there are no, you know, fortunately, air traffickers are professionals through and through. Flight safety and, and expedition is all they're interested in. And, and we have a fantastic relationship with Seville and work very closely together to, to ensure that whatever is going on in the airspace in the vicinity of Gibraltar happens safely.
Do you think with the UK leaving the uh, European Union in March of next year, do you think that's going to have much operational effect on, on what you do here? That's clearly a big question that I don't think anybody absolutely knows the answer to. I'd like to think, and I'm pretty confident, that it won't have any impact on, in terms of the provision of air traffic services. As I said earlier, we've got a letter of agreement with Seville, uh, so we have a, a modus operandi that, that we can we just continue to use. So uh, unless for some reason it becomes politically complex, and I really can't answer to that, um, I don't see any reason why, why the way we operate here should change at all. Yeah, interesting. I think it's, it's all about you know, being professional and working with other like-minded professionals. Too, it, it absolutely is, and I think uh, that that will hopefully extend throughout Europe in terms of the aviation industry, and, and I, I really don't think it's in anyone's interest to see the aviation industry disrupted at all. We, we all want to go on holiday, we all need to do business, we all need to fly around. Uh, you know, more people are flying than ever. I think in the UK last summer was the busiest year on record. Uh, that's only likely to grow. Uh, it's only likely to grow around Europe, so it's absolutely in nobody's interest to, to you know, throw a spanner in that particular works. So I really don't think Brexit will have a major impact, but as I say, nobody really knows the answer. We're, we're considering doing a Brexit special uh, on the show, but uh, it's so inflammatory at the moment, I think we might leave that until things have settled down uh, a bit I, next year. I think that's sensible, yes. And I, I think the biggest issue is everyone can speculate, but nobody knows the answer. So, and is there a much value in speculation? Probably not. Just thinking about the operations here, uh, in 2016, a British Airways uh, A320 had quite a serious bird strike uh, just on its takeoff run. Um, it, are birds a particular problem around the airport here, do you think? They, they are a problem, um, as they are at any airport, uh, and obviously different, different airports have different bird species, which are a problem species. For us, the problem is the yellow-legged gull. It's a herring gull, effectively, which is quite a large bird. Uh, fortunately, it doesn't fly in flocks, so you're not going to hit a flock of them. You may hit a bird. Uh, I, I still am confident that, actually, we, we, we have wildlife control on the airfield for every aircraft movement at, at the fast end of the runway, if you like, dispersing birds all the time, keep particularly that species away. We have a very good relationship with the local authority because, of course, the birds aren't really based on the runway, if you like, or on the airfield. They, they roost on the rock. They go and feed in the, in the waste tips over the frontier in Spain at various, uh, the various landfill sites. So they tend to be transiting across the airfield and we can disrupt that. We work closely with the local authority in terms of keeping the numbers down as far as the roosting on the rock goes. Um, we even have a very good relationship with developers. So anyone who's going to develop a building close to the airfield and, and in Gibraltar, pretty much everything is close to the airfield. One of the hoops, if you like, that they have to go through is to satisfy the, the airfield and the aviation authorities that their, their development isn't going to have a negative impact uh, on flight safety and apart from the obvious things like height and glare from the windows, bird management and bird control is one of the factors that they have to consider and they have to satisfy the authorities that their building isn't going to attract birds near to the airfield which may then obviously fly towards the airfield if they're startled. So we've got many processes in place, we are acutely aware that birds are a risk but I think it's a very well managed risk, it's a well understood risk well managed, you are obviously occasionally going to be unlucky, but, but really we have three or four bird strikes a year close to the airfield, 
uh, and the majority of them are fairly minor and the aircraft just continue once they've been inspected. It's interesting isn't it that there's so much attention paid to uh, building um, regulations and this kind of thing with regard to the airfield. I hadn't realised that was such an important part of the uh, development here. Yes and, and it keeps us all very busy all of the time to be honest because there is a lot of development going on in Gibraltar and we really do have to be careful that we don't in effect make it impossible to operate the airfield because some development's been approved that uh, seriously infringes the, the obstacle limitation surfaces, that causes tremendous glare down the, down the approaches at a particular time of year. Uh, so there are many factors that need to be considered with every development. But as I say, the developers in Gibraltar are aware of the, the issue. They're very good, even to the point of you know, raising cranes and lowering cranes. We find ourselves engaged on almost a daily basis with talking with developers about can, can they raise that crane, what time should it go up, what time must it come down by. Uh, so it's a very good relationship. There's, a, there's an acute awareness that the airfield needs to operate. Certainly, since I uh, haven't been here for a couple of years, I've noticed a lot more development going on in the last two years here. Yes, it's a bit of a building site, to be honest, when you walk around Gibraltar. Uh, I'll say no more than that. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your personal career progression that got you sat here at the Tower at ATC? I, I, was, actually, I was actually born in Gibraltar, educated in the UK. Um, and in my early 20s, I came back. Uh, and having been a, an employee of British Telecom in the UK, actually, uh, I, le I left that, came back. Um, at a time when it was announced that the air traffic was going to be civilianised by the, by the RAF. I saw that as an opportunity uh, and so off I, off I went to do my licences. Fortunately got my licences but wasn't returned straight to Gibraltar. Did some work in, uh, in Lambeda in the north of Wales actually operating um, Jindaviks they're called which are basically these days would be a drone which uh, exercise in the in the areas just off the, the Welsh coast with the, with the Air Force or the, or the Navy. Um, spent about a year there, a little bit of time also learning the ropes at Woodvale and that was with Serco and then Serco brought me to Gibraltar and uh, worked as a controller, tower and radar here for a number of years, 11-12 years um, before the opportunity to become the manager came along. Um, did the interviews and became the manager. I live in Gibraltar, it's my home, and uh, I couldn't have a better job, quite honestly. What other challenges would you say that there are here at Gibraltar? Water at both ends of the runway. Not unique, of course, there are many airports that have that. Um, we have a cruise liner terminal quite close to the end of the runway, and, and cruise liners these days, as most people who, who have been on a cruise will be aware, are enormous. So they're a, they're a significant consideration. We again have an agreement with the Port Authority about the movement of the cruise ship, so, so we work very closely with them to, to make sure that aircraft movements and cruise movements are de-conflicted. We have a number of marinas near the airfield, which again we, we need to manage and we have agreements with the marinas so that we don't get vessels with tall masts coming out at inopportune moments and, uh, and affecting flights. We're always vigilant to these things, but clearly what we don't want to do is have a flight disrupted because uh, something's in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, so we, we manage that very carefully. The weather itself, Gibraltar's a very unique microclimate. So uh, in early summer, we tend to get a lot of fog in the morning because uh, a warm easterly wind uh, coming from the Levant blows, uh, blows across cold waters. They're still very cold in June. Uh, and obviously, moisture comes out of that and we get fog. So fog can be a, a challenge, although not a challenge we can do much about. Uh, and probably for pilots, one of the biggest challenges can be the wind. Um, southwesterly winds in particular blow across 
across the rock, which is only about 500 metres from, from the runway itself, uh, across final approach, uh, and that can set up all sorts of very difficult and challenging turbulence from just straightforward lumpiness that you might expect on, on final approach normally, to a, a large rotor that sets itself up that creates quite a, quite a substantial up and down draft. Um, so, so what tends to happen is uh, aircraft fly into the rotor if, if it's there. Um, and you can often see it there by the patterns on the water um, beneath it. Um, so the aircraft flies through it at anywhere between four and two miles and it, and it, it enters a down, an area of downdraft. So the aircraft gets pushed down, of course the pilots put, uh, put uh, power on to compensate for that um, and then hit the updraft which lifts them above the glide path and often too far above the glide path. So, so, so whilst it's not particularly dangerous, it makes it impossible to land because it's a 6,000 foot runway, 1,800 meters. Um, so at that point, if you, if you are a bit high or too high, certainly in an airline, you're not gonna be able to, able to land. The wind can then cause very extreme conditions. Um, we can get um, water spouts and things you know, off, off final approach. Um, once conditions get like that, nobody even makes an approach. Pilots are warned off. They're and, off and I'm to Malaga at that point. I'm <laughs> afraid it's a diversion to Malaga, yes. There's nothing we can do about that. Again, it's always safety first for us operating as Nats in Gibraltar and for the airlines and for the MOD, safety comes first. So nobody's going to try and do anything silly and, and land in those sorts of conditions. And quite frankly, as if I were a passenger on the back of a plane, I don't want to be thrown around no, either. Exactly. So, uh, when sort of an aircraft does divert to Malaga, is it the airline's responsibility to get the coaches there uh, to, for the operator? Assisted by the local handling agency, it's, it's fundamentally the airline's responsibility. Obviously, if, it, if it's a case that they know the weather's really bad and the forecast is really bad, they may well operate straight to Malaga, in, in which case it's quite a slick operation getting buses, you know, the buses are waiting for you. If it's an unexpected diversion, which, which may occur for for who knows what reason. If it's unexpected, the delay's a little bit longer, but again, it's a pretty slick operation. It's, uh, it, it will cause you a three or four hour delay on your flight, um, but it's not as bad as you might think. Uh, and I, again, I need to point out that diversions, although I think people have a perception that we have a high number of diversions, it, it is, we have a low percentage. It's, it's probably under 1% of flights a year divert to, to Malaga, so it's, it's not bad, it's not bad yeah, at all. Certainly looking at the approach plates to um, Gibraltar here, uh, some of the patterns that you see, as you've just mentioned, are, look quite horrific and it is possible to get a, a tailwind at both ends of, of the runway. That, that can happen. Fortunately, it's usually a relatively light tailwind, but particularly in the summer if, uh, if the wind backs because of the sea breeze, which um, is basically created by the land heating up and, and sucking air up, and, and that causes the... Uh, a south or rather a westerly wind to back towards a southwest or even as far as south if it's a very light wind. It, what happens, yes, is it, it obviously it hits the rock, the rock almost acts like the bow of a ship, um, splits the wind and then the wind curls around the rock and we end up with a possibly a four or five knot tailwind at, at both ends of the runway. That's usually actually fine for the airlines, it's just about within their tolerances, so it, it seldom causes a major issue but obviously pilots have to be acutely aware that they are landing. With a, with a tailwind. Um, the, the margins are very comfortable. The modern A320s, which is the majority of the flights we get here, but we get 737s as well occasionally, and even 757s very occasionally, uh, can, can stop very quickly and they, they rarely need to apply their full, their full brakes. You know, they, they tend, to, tend to be stopped 
perhaps two-thirds of the way down the runway and under control. Yes. Does the op uh, operation here allow for any GA flying uh, at all? Any yes, yeah. yes. Um, I think it's fair to say very few people are turned away. So, so yes, we get a, a lot of business jets. That's clearly uh, for, the, for those who can afford it um, or for those businesses who, who actually time is very much money. Um, need to operate that way. We get a lot of business jets here. They represent about 25% of our over overall traffic. Um, smaller GA is unusual. We mostly see it in the summer, and by smaller GA, obviously I'm talking about your Pipers, your Cessnas. Um, they may arrive in the summer, usually Europeans, French or, or Germans who are flying down to Morocco perhaps, and uh, I think Gibraltar's a good a good one to have in the logbook, so they'll often often request, and they will usually be accepted. Uh, perhaps not in every case, and certainly once the once the tunnel's ready, I'm sure they will all be accepted and very welcomed. Yes, it'll certainly uh, transform the the operation here. I'm sure when that happens. Yes, as as you can imagine, it, it's uh, it can be quite difficult if you've got four or five GA aircraft fairly close together. You don't really want to close the road for half an hour and and bring Gibraltar to a gridlocked standstill. For the sake of landing three or four PA-28s, it would probably not be an appropriate use of, of people's time and it would hurt the economy. Um, but once the tunnel is gone, of course, there are, there are no restrictions then. So, so yes, it's hopefully once we have that tunnel, um, everything will be accepted. Well, Trevor, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you very much indeed for your time. No, thank you very much, Nev. Much appreciated. Always good to talk about the airport. Well, 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 Nev. Mm. Round of Did applause. Round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. That was actually yes, that, fantastic. It's a fascinating place, isn't it? And uh, Trevor was very generous with his time uh, when Sue and I uh, went to visit him. And uh, I found out a lot more information about the airport that I didn't know before, uh, especially the uh, bird activity as well there. Um, mm. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, every time an aircraft takes off or lands, there's a, a proper runway sweep um, to make sure there's nothing left on the runway by passing traffic or passengers as well um, so uh, but yeah very good during that uh, interview nev uh, neil uh, neil lamwell in the chat room came up with a very good question because you you put a lot of work and effort into um the bits and pieces you make for the show and a good question neil said was how long does this kind of thing take to organize for the benefit of those who are not in the chat room though yeah, I mean, I think that we'd already got a, um, a flight and hotel booked for November the 1st anyway, which is when I was going over there. So I thought in about sort of March or April time of this year, I might just drop Trevor a quick note and see if they could accommodate it. Um, and they were happy to, but they have to get a lot of clearance to do that, of course. And also had to make sure that I had sent the uh, content to them uh, before we broadcast it as well. Um, so in this actual case it took about six months to tee it up but sometimes it, it can be less than that um but uh yeah the mod and that's were, were very accommodating uh, and that makes it great but yeah on this particular occasion it did take about six months to uh, to fully tee it all up oh, very good well you done well nev you done well and obviously Thank we've you. got uh, we've got the uh, sir richard johns interviews coming up very soon as well uh, which again are uh, are going to be epic 
I will say. Yes, I'm. I'm pleased to say that um, uh, we we subcontracted the interviewing process to uh, to Captain Nick because um, just considering the, you know the sort of questions that we might be asking him, you know, Carlos might ask him about <laughs> does he like the TriStar? Uh, Matt would be asking him, oh, how much RAM have you got in your PC? And I would be asking him, oh, what do you think about the new 31-inch seat pitch? on the BA A320. So uh, we thought we'd need to get somebody proper, proper military proper to military. ask him the question. Exactly. So uh, Cap- Captain Nick was our first choice, and he has not let us down, I have to tell you. No, he done that. He done very well. He done very well. And like I said, for those of you, it, it is a real treat coming up soon. So make sure you tune in. I think, uh, I don't know when, when we're going to air the first episode, Nev. Any ideas? Oh, well, if we've got, I think if we're not too busy next week, we could certainly kick off uh, the first one next week. Um, We're going to have in six separate parts because there's a a big story to tell. So we thought we'd uh, uh, chunk it up into bite-sized pieces. So each interview is probably about uh, uh, 15 to 20 minutes long, but uh, very worthwhile. And it's a fascinating insight into a gentleman that's been highly decorated and uh, had a very senior part in the Air Force, of course. So we've got some military news coming up next. And then before we finish the show, we've got some news obviously on the Christmas competition. A little bit of news on there about what we're doing with that. And uh, and then we're going to start to wrap things up. So, Nev, are you ready to do some grey stuff? I am, yes. Off we go. Off we go. Soaking off this week's first military news story, and this one is on the Royal Air Force's uh, website, uk, I should say. And uh, this uh, is quite good, this one, actually, for those of you who uh, live up and around Salisbury Plain in the UK. And the headline, record-breaking drop for uh, the RAF Atlas 400M. So the Royal Air Force Atlas A400M has delivered a cargo uh, load weighing 23 tonnes by parachute over the Salisbury Plain in a record-breaking test of the transport aircraft's next-generation capabilities. Uh, The uh, drops representing the heaviest overall load ever dropped by a UK aircraft took place as part of a trial to confirm the Atlas's ability to deliver heavy loads such as military equipment, supplies and humanitarian aid without needing to land. The trials were overseen by the Defence Equipment and Support or the DE&S in partnership with the Royal Air Force, uh, the Cunetic and Airbus uh, parts of uh, of the military. The results from the trial, which took place on the 6th of November, will now be fed uh, into the Atlas Development Programme, uh, which is qualifying the aircraft to perform such operations in the Royal Air Force Service. By comparison, the maximum cargo weight deliverable by uh, container delivery system from a C-130J Hercules is approximately 15 tonnes. And uh, the uh, DA and S uh, Atlas A400M delivery team leader James Brown Dawson said that the successful trials involving the largest load ever uh, by air dropped by UK aircraft are an impressive demonstration of the A400M's ability to deliver essential cargo where it is needed. This has been a fantastic team effort, bringing together staff 
uh, from the DE and S and the Royal Air Forces A400M community at Bryce Norton as well as our industry partners uh, to mature tactical capabilities for frontline use in the Royal Air Force operations. The UK's Atlas fleet is being developed to uh, complement the Hercules fleet in support of transport operations all over the world. Atlas trials are undertaken by 206 Squadron, which is based at Royal Air Force Bryce Norton, alongside frontline squadrons. And uh, the International Atlas program being delivered by Airbus is supporting around 8,000 jobs in the UK. Uh, in total, the UK RAF will receive 22 Atlas aircraft, which are all expected to be delivered by the early 2020s. And Nev, uh, we've obviously we've seen these at the various air shows, and um, I was thinking, looking at the uh, picture on this particular story on the Royal Air Force's website, and seeing all these parachute loads of uh, equipment being dropped over Salisbury Plain. You know, they, it's going to be a mammoth job picking all this stuff up to take it back uh, to it is. Uh, yeah, to base. <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive area, isn't it? But uh, I certainly do like the A400M. It's one of my favourite aircraft, and it must be a very, very versatile machine as well. Uh, I would imagine. So uh, yeah, it's it's a great uh, aircraft. A lot of effort going into producing that and and making it effective uh, in real world situations as well. So. Very true. So next story is uh, really, really, really good news for our friends mm. over in the US, Nev. It is, and it's on theaviationist.com, and uh, it says that the U.S. Air Force has posted limited information about a new F-35A demonstration team for the upcoming 2019 air show season. Uh, the information appeared today on the official U.S. Air Force Air Combat Command Aerial Events page. Uh, the webpage hosts official information about the various Air Combat Command flight demonstration teams that include the F-22 Raptor demonstration team, the A-10C Thunderbolt 2 demo team, the F-16 Viper demo team, and the Heritage flight teams. Uh, the Air Force has not released specific information about how or if the F-35A demo team will perform differently in the uh, 2018 demonstration season, season uh, but the new team may hint at a solo F-35A Lightning II flight demonstration separate from the Heritage flight formation. Uh, if the US Air Force um, F-35A does fly a solo demonstration under new team designation, uh, the routine could include some aerobatic flying, although Air Combat Command has offered no details about the team's demonstration routine. Included on the new page is a look at what the F-35A demo team patch may look like. A US flag uh, waving in the background of the patch with a front view of an F-35A as seen on many F-35 unit patches. The patch has the inscription F-35A Lightning II demo team. A clever creative element are stripes in the flag background forming lightning bolts. Uh, the US uh, Air Force F-35A Lightning uh, has flown limited demonstration flights at air shows already, but normally as part of the Heritage flight demonstration, a formation of aircraft from several eras that showcases the heritage of Air Force aviation. In general, while the formations are spectacular and the flying is precise, the Heritage flight formations with the F-35A did not specifically showcase the capabilities of the F-35A in a high-performance 
flight regime. Uh, there have been a couple of notable exceptions to the F-35A flight demos, though. Lockheed Martin uh, test pilot Billy Flynn flew an aerobatic display in a USAF uh, F-35A at the 2017 Paris Air Show at Le Bourget Airport in France. US Air Force F-35As from the 57th wing at Nellis Air Force Base have also flown at uh, in air power demonstrations that included some high performance flying in combination with other RAF, sorry, other US Air Force aircraft to simulate various operational scenarios. These aircraft did not perform specific capabilities, uh, uh, sorry, these, these aircraft did not perform a specific capability demonstration of the F-35A. Well, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? Looking for, uh, for some demos coming up for the next uh, 2019 air show season in the US. That would be great. Yeah. Really good. It was, it was obviously we were going to have to have a demo team for the F-35. You know, we've got we've always got the Royal Air Force and the Blue Angels and that you know, you've got all these display teams around the world. All different countries have their own different display teams, but obviously different aircraft but uh, um, are obviously flown by each display team. But it's great to see mm. that there'll be a display team having the F-35 um, obviously, you know, doing a display. And I wonder how many aircraft they'll have in the display team, Nev. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? But um, no, th this is going to be a very, very popular thing indeed. And uh, it's something that they have to do, isn't it, really? It's it's so popular with the uh, the general public. And apart from the, you know, the commercial benefits, but uh, yeah, to show off uh, some great aircraft at some great air shows. So the next story is on the Air Force technology.com website and uh, we've talked in the uh, past about uh, airlines uh, I think it was EasyJet here in the UK using a, a drone to survey I think it was, that was EasyJet wasn't it to survey aircraft mm. uh, Nev and uh, this one is the RAAF uh, uses the DJI Phantom 4 drone to evaluate C-17A Globemaster aircraft so the Royal Australian Air Force's number 36 squadron has introduced a DJI Phantom 4 drone to support the home station check on the service's C-17 Globemaster military transport aircraft. Home station check is a routine servicing conducted on each Globemaster transport aircraft after every six months. The drone is deployed by the squadron to inspect hard-to-reach areas of the Globemaster transport aircraft, uh, reducing height risks to the C-17A crew members. Uh, RAAF Commander Air Mobility Group Air Commodore William Kraukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalaukalauk
The autonomous system provides high-resolution images and videos that can be provided to agencies, including the Heavy Airlift Systems Program Office, Boeing and the Defence Science and Technology Group. Number 36 Squadron Senior Engineer Officer Squadron Leader Evan Smith said the DJI Phantom 4 drone was introduced into service with help from the Royal Australian Artillery's 20th Surveillance and Target Acquisition. Uh, regiment. Uh, Smith also said that the Army has extensive experience using this particular model and managing the information downloaded from it. He said that we manage a drone and uh, app through a smartphone app and have been able to adapt Army practices to suit our needs. To use it, uh, RAAF base Amberley, we've sought approvals from 452 Squadron as the aerodrome operator, although the Air Defence Worthiness Coordination Policy Agency as well. It's uh, safe to say, Nev, that um, you know, I, I don't mind heights. I think I think some people aren't that impressed by uh, heights, but having the ability to do survey work on large aircraft such as the C-17. Uh, or even the Russian-built uh, Antonov we were talking about earlier, uh, using a drone rather than having humans on platforms high up in the air is uh, is a heck of a lot safer, wouldn't you say? It, it is, isn't it? Yeah, and I think to, to, to give options like this, I think it's very good, especially with the technology as good as it is now for, for this sort of uh, drone uh, operation. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. A really good idea. Are you uh, a lover of these, uh, Nev? Would you, if you got offered one of these DJI, was would you? Because um, you, I mean, you love your tech and you love your audio and visual, and obviously these uh, these Phantoms do have great cameras on. Was that something you'd uh, like yeah, to have a play know, with? Really odd. It's never been something that I have been interested in, which is strange considering I do all this other business at home in, in the studio here. So um, I just have never got the, the, the drone bug. I mean, maybe I will one day, but uh, uh, obviously the quality you can get from these uh, with the cameras uh, uh, and the uh, stabilized platforms is, is fantastic. But um, no, it's not something which has ever appealed to me, uh, even if I could afford to do it. So um I'm going to uh, just see how the technology goes, and maybe I might dip my foot into it one of these days. I was just looking, actually, uh, nervous for the price of a DJI 4. Obviously, prices probably differ uh, across the globe, but uh, if you want to go and grab yourself one of these, Nev, uh, now, you can get one of these online now for about £1,000. Oh, actually, that wasn't as much as I thought it was going to be. Um, yes, well... I'll have to. I'll. I'll just park that thought for the moment. Shall we say? Not on the Christmas list uh, with uh, no, Mrs. Nev. No. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no, I've bought enough gear uh, this year. I think I've just got to give it all a bit of a rest, actually. But, and on, uh, yeah. on the subject of that gear, Nev, you know, it's proven uh, that uh, this year we've we've had some great footage and stuff from the air, uh, the air shows we've been to, and uh, I think that camera was uh, definitely a great investment from you, Nev. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, it's, it works very well, particularly in low light situations. So obviously the um, uh, the filming that we did at Gibraltar was fine outside, but uh, uh, I couldn't really take any lights with me because I didn't want to take too much gear, to be honest with you, uh, into uh, Gibraltar Airport itself. So um, uh, the ability for that, for that camera to work very well in, in low light conditions 
uh, certainly in Trevor's office and in the radar room uh, that we shot was uh, was really good. But uh, yeah, very, very, very pleased with it indeed. And it's proven itself time and time again this year, both at the air shows and we've been doing interviews with people. So uh, yeah, look forward to uh, to next season as well. Um, mm. To take it out and about and into some uh, into some new areas, uh, which we'll discuss perhaps uh, in a later show. So Paul Tricker said in the chat room that uh, he's got a, a cheapish drone at home and uh, half the time he's too scared to fly it in case he loses it in a tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, fair <laughs> point. Yeah, I, I've got one of the, uh, the the cheap ones at home as well, which I brought online, and I'm, I'm petrified of taking it up in case I lose it in someone's garden or, you know, <laughs> onto the road or into a field and lose it forever. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I think I'll stick, because uh, I think Pip's got a DJI and he doesn't even use it, I think. That's right, yeah, and uh, Captain Nick's got a couple, I think. Um, So, yeah, it's it's not it's not something which has ever really appealed to me. I mean, it should do if you think about it, but it it hasn't for some reason. But um, we'll we'll, I'll see how it goes, and uh, I'll I'll wait to uh, save up a bit bit more money, see if I can uh, find a reason to use it. Exactly. (laughs) So, bit of news, and before we start to wrap the show up, then uh, obviously. Christmas is fast approaching, and uh, as always, uh, we're going to run our PTUK Christmas competition this year, uh, which uh, the questions uh, were finished and finalised last night for the uh, for the competition. And uh, there's going to be 12 questions this year, and uh, Nev's uh, got the copy of the questions in front of him. And uh, Nev, I think you'll agree that there's some uh, interesting questions on there, I think, for the listeners. Oh, there are, yes. There's a couple of... Um... Not, not they're not trick questions, but tricky. I would say so. Mm. You, you need to have a think about <laughs> some of those answers. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, Carlos was testing me out last night on a on a couple of them. I did not get them all right, I have to say. So um, although one of them I'm you not... did get right, though, Nev, one of them you got, was... you nailed it straight away. <laughs> with it. <laughs> I was very surprised at that, and that wasn't just a guess. That was an, an intelligent guess, I hope. Uh, but uh, there's some the great questions in there, actually. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to that. We're going to bring uh, bring you the details and the questions of the uh, competition next week on the show, and uh, we're going to announce the winners um, probably on our. Are we going to do for the, the last live show we do? I think we'll announce the mm, winners. Yes, that'll be a good yeah. idea, won't it? Yes. Yeah, we've got some great prizes this year. We have really, really pushed the uh, pushed the the uh, the the aircraft carrier out this year for uh, prizes uh, this year. We've got some really great ones for the, for the you guys and girls to win out there. So make sure you keep your eyes on next week's show when we announce the questions and uh, the prizes for what you can win. So uh, we've got that to look forward to. And obviously, uh, Nev, you've got uh, the interview coming up soon with Sir Richard uh, Johns. We're going to play that on the show as well, probably next week. So another one to, to look forward to as well. And, yep, and uh, as I mentioned before, um, he has very kindly uh, signed uh, a copy of his book there as well uh, for us, um, which is fantastic. And we'll be uh, sending it out as a prize too uh, this year. Wow. So, yeah, should be great. Wow. I have a feeling Mr. Warner may well be um, um, in, you know, applying for the competition, putting his answers <laughs> in. So uh, we're going to start to wrap things up then for this episode. Nev, where can uh, people find us uh, on the interwebs? 
Oh, yes. Well, the best thing to do, uh, if you want to see our website, it's www.plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, if you want to send us an email, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And uh, you can see our show live as well um, on YouTube. Just have a look for the links to that. Um, and, yeah, uh, the best best place to send your feedback is to our email address, as I say, which is plain talking, sorry, a podcast at plaintalkinguk.com uh, or on Twitter, we're at, uh, at plaintalkinguk and also uh, facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk as well. Yeah, so don't forget to uh, send us your feedback as well. We love to hear some audio feedback. Send it in through any file format. I'm sure Nev and Matt can sort out the uh, files and, and do their usual magic with the files and have them on the show. So send your audio feedback in as well. We love to hear from you. And also, don't forget as well, we have got in the process of printing out some various pictures to go on the wall behind me here in the studio. We've got some great pictures sent in by Jonathan Warner. We're going to um, have those on the wall for next week. And uh, we've got a couple of uh, other great pictures as well, which have been emailed in through uh, from a few listeners, uh, which will be on the wall behind us. So don't forget, if you want to send us some pictures in, some photos, you can email them to the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And uh, just, uh, yeah, let us know and we'll put them on the wall behind here so you can have your own your own picture behind us here on the wall. And uh, we don't even mind if you're in the picture as well as as a listener, <laughs> do we, Nev? If you're in the picture, that's right. That's and that's great. actually some, some really nice pictures uh, being sent over, folks. So yeah. uh, really appreciate that indeed. And uh, yeah, it look, looks great, actually. That, that wall's uh, filling up nicely, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a bit worried, actually, Nev, because in the chat room and uh, Paul Trick has just said that he's going to send a tornado over. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, the fence panels have already blown over once yeah. this year in uh, January. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. we could do that. Yeah. Look, nice, look, look nice on the wall, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> so that is where we are going to bring episode 244 of the Plain Talking UK podcast to a show. We're going to say a massive thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this morning, all the family members across the globe, including our Australian listeners as well in the uh, chat room as well this week. So, uh, uh, well, thanks to all you guys and girls out there. And also a big thanks to everyone who downloads the show through uh, the audio version through iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual pod uh, podcast download uh, sites all around the globe. Thanks for downloading the show. So that's it then. That's where we're going to bring the show to a close. Uh, Matt should be back next week uh, in the studio here, hopefully doing all this stuff because it's incredibly, incredibly intense, I tell you, honestly. <laughs> it's easy, but he makes it look even easier when he's here. It's easy if, if you're not doing it. That's uh, all easy. I would say. If, if you're trying to present and do all that at the same time, it's a bit, a bit of a hand. So that is where we're going to bring the show to a close again. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Have a great weekend in whatever you're doing. I'm going to go home and have roast pork for dinner. Whoa, with nice thick gravy. Lovely jubbly. So take care, everyone, and uh, we'll see you on the show next Sunday. We are going to do the show again. And uh, fingers crossed we're going to have uh, our good friend Grant McCarran on next Sunday's show. Uh, across the pond so he's going to join us hopefully for next week's live show so from me carlos here in the ptuk studios enjoy yourself stay safe and take care and from you nev yeah see you guys have a nice remainder of the weekend take care and see you next week bye bye see you bye